So, I, I mean, I, I don't really care if people believe in it. I care that people believe in themselves. And that is what intuition gives us. And I care that people believe in community because intuition proves that we are completely interrelated and often enmeshed. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. I wanted to ask her, you know, what happens when you die? Although maybe I did. But, <laughs> you know, it's like, she's not a psychic, but she, she, she does have the ability to kind of like make contact. But she's not, she's, she's not really interested in talking about that stuff so much. She's really more like practical. Right. Well, I think she's, that... So- so if you're just tuning in, we're talking about Laura Day, yeah, um, who is the author of a number of books about gut feeling and intuition. Um, New York Times bestselling author. Yeah. And I think to your point, Z, she's probably less inclined to talk about her like actual intuitive abilities and you know, her being a little bit psychic, et cetera, than, you know, especially in a practical conversation and more inclined to like put it in, you know, actionable terms for entrepreneurs and even for people who just want a more practical approach to like what their gut is all about. Yeah. I think she does a good job. Well, it's interesting that she's, she's sort of found her, I don't know, her groove in this like corporate setting, like that she's been seeked out by like execs and major corporations to help them like steer their ship based yeah. on their own intuition, which is pretty impressive because that is something that feels very tangible. It's like you don't really stay in that type of role for decades if you're not producing like tangible results. Right. And that's like a very, you know, I think with this, this, you know, this field in general of like when you're talking about intuitives and psychics and clairvoyance and all that stuff, it's hard to, you know, you're always a little bit like suspect because it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of trickery out there and it's also very easy to kind of say shit that's like really vague, you know? Right. So well, and I feel like in the wellness, practical. yes, and wellness business more than most, I think it's easy to get away with saying stuff that doesn't really have a whole lot of science behind it because you get enough people that are believers and then, you know, it all just like... <laughs> It just kind of falls into place. So yeah, but it's cool because her she thinks so. Her whole thing is like she thinks that everyone has this ability to right. be an intuitive, and um, that's pretty much what she does now. Is she teaches people how to do that, and it's kind of fascinating how she talks about that practice and how she approaches it. But we'll let y'all listen. Yeah, I mean, I'm ready to sign up for a session. You? Yes, I think that's probably best for everyone. Hey guys, so you may have figured out by now that Zoe and I are huge fans of functional mushrooms, and that's because their benefits are legit from increasing focus and concentration to helping you sleep, and probably most importantly, providing incredible support for your immune system. And yes, that is actual science. You can check it out on our blog at earthandstar.com. 
but who doesn't need a little bit of extra immune support right now if we're being honest. But anyway, the most important thing for you to know actually is that you have to have these fabulous fungi in your system every day in order to reap the benefits. So Earth and Star, our new brand, is making it as easy as possible for you to get the amazing benefits of functional mushrooms every day. Like if you've got a serious cold brew habit, there's a can for that. If you love your afternoon matcha latte, then we've got you covered there. And if you're not like G-Love and you're not feeling the cold beverages, then how about a totally delicious dark chocolate bar that also helps you increase focus and concentration while satisfying your sweet tooth. And it pairs super well with red wine. So we at Earth and Star have created as many ways as possible to help you elevate your everyday routine because we are not asking you to add another pill or a powder to your very busy schedule of supplements. We just want it to be as easy and absolutely delicious as possible for you to get some mush love into your life. So check us out at earthandstar.com and get 15% off your first order with the code HTW. Okay, Laura, first question. How am I today? <laughs> now, did you get that off of one of my podcasts? Yes, I that, did. <laughs> oh, because that, yes, that is exactly. So, so I, in the morning, you know, psychics are the worst about wanting to know every single thing that's going to happen from what, will it rain to what's that bump on my shoulder? Um, and um, so in the morning, the first thing I do is I, exchange readings with uh, an intuitive who's... And at night, the last thing I do is exchange it with someone in uh, Hawaii in the morning with someone in London. And I I tell my students, not joking, they think it's funny, but it's not. They say, hey, how am I? And I'll say, blah, blah, blah. And then they say, oh, how am I? And I'll say, blah, blah. So it, it is... One of the things that I really love as people train in intuition is, yes, it is amazing to be able to create a map for your life, to, you know, get a sense of the future. But what it's when you use it in just the organic way that it actually exists within you, it becomes a wonderful thing. When you say, where are my keys? Someone can actually answer that question. <laughs> it, it, it's a different kind of a dialogue. Or when you say, I, I really, I'm so upset. Someone will say, okay, give me a sec. Okay, I feel I'm 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 in your heart right now, and I feel like you maybe had too much coffee. Is that possible? And then you say, "Yes, I just had four cups." And they said, "And why?" And you're surprised. You're anxious. You know. So it is a different kind of dialogue. And and the way I train people is I'm I'm really training people to predict the future, to use it in business in a verifiable way, or in helping their patients or clients structure their lives more effectively. But the beauty of it is that kind of easy back and forth of, I know you, I see you, and I know you know and see me, and we're in this together. And uh, for me, that, that's it. Hmm. I need more friends like that. Hey, no I see you, Zoe. I see yeah. you. No. Can you tell me where my keys are? No. no. It is really helpful. You know, it is, it's helpful and it's intrusive. So, so um, I did a podcast yesterday and it's someone who I met through Goop and she's amazing. And she's doing this, Elise, and she's doing this amazing, all these amazing 
podcast. But, you know, right after I met her, and luckily she, she you know, knows a lot of intuitives. Like after, you know, I won't have spoken to her for three months. I'll pick up the phone and say, you know, I really don't like this decision you're making around blah, blah, blah. And it's intrusive. It is intrusive. I mean, I had a therapist tell me once, listen, your husband knows you're right. You know you're right. But you don't have to let him know you're right. You know, that's not good for a relationship. Fair point. Mm, I kind of disagree with that, but whatever. <laughs> I kind of disagree. <laughs> what? So let's start, let's start at the beginning. We're going to define what it is to be intuitive, but maybe even before we do that, like, can we just start with your journey and yes. how you got to, you know, where you are now? Did you go to intuitive school? No. Um, yes. So I, we were speaking before about the fact that I graduated from Stuyvesant High School with a bunch of math and science nerds and in New York City. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. My mother had committed suicide four years before. I was still reeling. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was watching. And my question really was, am I just taking up space? Like, why am I even here? You know, I mean, nobody really, my father didn't want me. Nobody really wanted me. I came from a really abusive household. And I thought, not in a desperate way, but like, why am I taking up space? I'm not having the best time. So like, what am I doing? And I'm watching TV one night and I see a show on a nerd channel about the, about experiments that are being done on extrasensory perception, on the extended capacities of human perception. And I pick up the phone because I mean, I had nothing to lose, which has been a great story of my life. Now I have so much to lose. It's a little harder, but back then I had not a thing to lose. Picked up the phone. I said, I can do what you're talking about. Because they were talking about, well, you can see a remote location or you can predict what will happen or you can feel what someone's feeling. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's medication for that, folks. Like, doesn't everyone do that? So I call them up and I go in and it's this professor and he's giving this long-winded explanation, half of which I don't even understand because I have a little bit of an auditory processing disorder. So I'm sitting there and I just say, you know what, put a name in an envelope. And he did. This is in uh, Practical Intuition. He he wrote the foreword. Um, Or yes, he wrote the foreword. Um, I get my books confused. So so he wrote a name down and I held the envelope. And I described two people, what was wrong with them medically, what they did for a living, what was coming up for them, what was going in and on in their lives, you know, approximate age. I don't remember if I got it exactly, but approximate age. And he's baffled. And I'm looking at him and my hand in back the envelope. And he says, well, I put my name in the envelope, his first name. And you got me exactly. But this other person And then he had an aha because the other person had MS and I was picking up and I did gestures with my hands that were so embarrassing. When I realized what I was doing, I was picking up that he just lost function of his privates. And, um, And he said, oh my God, yes, that's my best friend. He has the same name. So he basically called in other researchers and press. And my deal was, I'm happy to do anything that doesn't require taking my clothes off, but, and even some things that did, but I want to do it anonymously. Like, I don't want to be a weirdo. I was already enough of a weirdo. I grew up in the house where, you know, the police were called at two in the morning. I did not want that. So that was our agreement. 
And I was kind of passed around to do all of these uh, experiments. And, and one was televised. How old are you at the time? 22, I think. So all of a sudden, or 21, 22, I have this instant following. And I don't even have a name for this. You know, I have this instant following of people who want me to tell them the future, fix their businesses, tell them about God. I have no idea. You know, I was a kid. So people would say, I gravitated toward medicine, toward business, toward politics, toward things where there were verifiable answers, which is how you're tested. You have a hit or you have a miss and you, they're not all hits, you know? So I, so I ended up really working a lot with, with different kinds of, of companies. And, you know, of course, you know, I still didn't really know how to make it into a career, but I was very spoiled and passed around and coddled and I felt special. And I finally had something I did well because, you know, wasn't a good mathematician, so Stuyvesant was a bomb. So, you know, I, I, and, and then, I, so I did it for whomever, and I had kind of a following, but what I didn't do is the esoteric. I was unwilling to tell people the truths. I was, you know, the more weird stuff, like dead people, I only did in private with friends. Like, I really stuck to what didn't make me crazy, where I could see, was I psychic or was I psychotic? Because it's, you can verify it in the world. You predict something and it happens, you know, and you can verify it and you keep track of it. And uh, then when I got pregnant and left my husband basically the same day, who I'd met when I was 16, so I got pregnant at 32, I, I, I was in a, a play space, which are these in, were back in the 90s, I don't know if they still exist, these indoor playgrounds. My kid was eating sand with another kid who was eating sand. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, how am I gonna, how am I gonna get myself out of this? How am I gonna pay for a divorce? How this is what private school costs, blah, blah, blah. And I was doing the exercises that I taught on myself, really for the first time. Because I was so used to being studied and having someone else come up with it. And I was just the reactionary part. I did it on me and a woman synchronicity. A woman sits down next to me who happens to be the mother of the other kid eating sand and says, what are you working on? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm in a terrible situation and I, I, I teach this uh, and lecture on it and I, I'm trying to use it on myself to get myself out of it. And she goes, let me see. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is just like my neurotic stuff. She goes, no, no, let me see. So I hand her my pages. Now I'm from a family of doctors for generations. My handwriting is like a chicken on LSD, but I hand, and you know, back in the old days, we used to write actually with a pen on paper. I don't know if you people know what that I is. I know what you're talking about. Um, so, so I handed her and she said, I can sell this. And I'm like, what? Handed me a card top New York book agent. A couple weeks later, it was sold for one of the highest advances ever paid for an unknown author. The, you know, it was out within the year. The next one was a $3 million advance that paid all my bills and put my son in St. Anne's. And, you know, it, it, um, it was really, it was the circle. So the first system I came up with is actually my fourth of six books. But I knew I couldn't publish it first. So that was practical intuition. It was an instant New York Times bestseller. 
uh, thanks to Oprah and Demi Moore. Uh, it was an instant New York Times bestseller. And I really loved it because I what it basically allowed me to do is have everybody experience that my reality was their reality because practical intuition puts you in, I never write about something. It puts you in a situation where you're predicting your own future, where you're experiencing people at a distance, where you're viewing and verifying remote locations. So it makes you me. Okay. So can we talk, so can we define intuition and then practical intuition? And then, you know, I guess in the context of the book, how you apply practical intuition to sort of achieve your goals and... and, and Absolutely. So uh, intuition is non-local perception. So your five senses now, to some degree, are sensing your room. You're tasting a taste. You're smelling a smell. You're hearing. You're feeling. You're remembering. You're thinking. All of those things give you information about your environment. But, and this is very important later for psychic self-defense, those same senses, your five senses, and then the ability to put them together, those same senses can move forward to the room you're in three years from now, can go into another person, can view a, another location. So intuition is non-local perception. It's your ability to bring yourself, your attention anywhere, in anyone, and at any point in space-time. There are, you know, back when I started, we couldn't measure the brain the way we do now. So there was a lot of research on things like remote viewing, which is someone gives you coordinates and you tell them what, what you see there, or dream telepathy, which was studied in the 60s at Mamamides Medical Center, where a, an unknown sender sends a sleeping person a story or image, and when the person wakes up, they document it. So there was convincing evidence. But now that we can see that the, we can see what the brain's doing, so we can see that the brain reacts to a photograph a computer has not yet generated accurately. So we now can see that we can prove, because we can see what the brain's doing, that the brain reacts with horror at a horrific picture that a computer hasn't even randomly selected yet. We now have convincing evidence in a scientific way that not only does this exist, but everybody has it. The, the practical intuition is, yeah, you know, great. You can tell the future. Most of us use it to scare the shit out of ourselves. Great. You can be in someone else. A lot of the time that just causes you depression and anxiety. Practical intuition is how do we engage it? How do we notice it? How do we use it? How do we verify it? How do we have a shield so we're not manipulated by this ability that we all have? And how do we use it to create a better life and a better community? That's so concise and it makes so much sense. But yeah. I feel like it's also, um, I mean, you've obviously come up against more than your fair share of skeptics and people who want to poke I have, holes. I have to tell you honestly, you know, yes, there is the person at the dinner party who said, who recognizes me and says, hi, what's my name? And I'm like, yeah, for 15,000 bucks, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, this is a business. This is not something I do. If you're a proctologist, I'm not going to ask you to examine me at a cocktail party and I'm not going to do it without payment. You know, but 
and and I'm you know I I I don't I've never I hear all the time oh medicine you know medicine doesn't accept us or business doesn't accept us I have never had that experience and I started doing this in the early eighties mm-hmm. my experience is if what you do works and is useful people will use it especially medicine who want to help their patients, especially business who wants to make a profit. You know, it's, I think that a lot of the people who, uh, and I'm not opposed to proving myself. Right. You know, I started my career by by proving something I didn't even care existed or not. So, so you know, I think that my experience has been all of my referrals have been through doctors because I won't pretend to be a doctor. Doctor, I will give a doctor information about their patient, but I won't give it to the patient. Um, I'll tell the, I'll tell someone to go to a doctor and have a test, but I won't. I, I don't pretend to be a financial manager. I work with funds. I will tell the fund what it is I perceive coming up in the market in the future, but I would never presume except by accident. I've done it a few times on air by accident, but I would never presume to tell a civilian, because guess what? Everyone can be wrong. And, and so I've, I feel that I've always practiced ethically. I, what's a new phrase? I stay in my lane. <laughs> you know, I, I've always practiced ethically. Intuition's not a belief. So I don't care if people believe in intuition. Right. Intuition is something that you can verify. It is a tool. It's a tool we all have, just like logic is a tool. So, I mean, I, I don't really care if people believe in it. I care that people believe in themselves. And that is what intuition gives us. And I care that people believe in community because intuition proves that we are completely interrelated and often enmeshed. That I care about. But, you know, some person at a cocktail party says, oh, you know, I don't believe in intuition. I say, intuition's not a belief. Have the shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> so the way you describe it, um, I love that. The the way you describe it, I mean, you really do make it sound more like, you know, there's that 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 kind of statistic that we all know where you only really use one two thousandth of your brain's capacity or something like that. And and the way you describe it, it's, it sounds more like a muscle that, to your point, we all have it. It's more just how to actually tone it and and tune into it. Um, well, also, you know, with children, think about this. If you, you're born a natural intuitive because you haven't done the hard work of developing an, an ego. You know, I want, I am, I believe, I think this is reality. This I put in not reality. So children who are properly parented repress their intuition. You don't want a child in your bedroom. You don't want a child in a war zone on the news. You don't want a child feeling what everyone's feeling. You want them to have the ability to have the boundaries and grounding to find a way to operate in the world. I mean, the reason that most psychics live in fifth floor walk-ups the smell of cat piss is that knowing doesn't help. The ego structure to be able to use that knowing and initiate appropriate action and filter out inappropriate action, those are ego functions. And that 
That is what we develop if we're lucky. I didn't. I have 40 years of psychotherapy under my belt. But ideally, that's what you develop. So children who are well-parented naturally repress their intuition, channel it to creativity, and really reality test. That's what the first 18 years of our life is, reality testing. Then what happens is as they have to be warriors in the world, their intuition organically becomes engaged because they begin to have clear goals. And that, you know, so it's natural. You're born intuitive. You repress and channel it into your identity and creativity. And then it opens back up again if you have an organic process uh, when you when you want to achieve something in your life. Although in little ways like, you know, how to make the boy like you, it gets engaged. Uh, but but you're too messy. Your brain doesn't have enough, you know, executive function to actually use it well as an adolescent. So, and, and people like myself who are naturally, you know, I mean, I literally at 18, at 20, didn't know that other people didn't perceive what I was perceiving. People like me become the way we are because of trauma. That is not what you want. And then if they're lucky, have the funds to have 40 years of psychotherapy to become functional human beings or semi-functional human beings. (laughs) But it's, you know, the fat kid in a war-torn, famine country is a psychic. There's no such thing as luck. They're not lucky. It's not smarts. It's intuition, but you you have that at a sacrifice of other parts of your being. I mean, it took me a long time. People would say, what's your favorite color? There was no I to say what my favorite color was or my favorite food, or I didn't remember to eat. I used to remember to eat because I'd pass out. And then I think, oh yeah, when was the last time I ate? You know, it, it's, it, 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 an ego is important. So one of the ways that I, because I train intuitives, that's what I'm doing now. I don't take clients anymore. I only, I read the companies I've been reading for 30 years and I teach other people to do the same or to read themselves or to work in community or to use their energy to create the life they want and to get out of their patterns. And one of the first things I have to kind of tough out of people is to use it to start with the esoteric, to start with, I'm going to use my intuition to know truth or what happens after I die or my past life. I really say, you know what? All of that stuff you can do later. Right now, I want you to predict the Tao every day. Right now, I want you to predict the winner of a horse race every day. Right now, I want you to create a timeline for your business intuitively because you need to be able to verify your details to train your subconscious to filter out creativity because intuition and creativity are opposite ends of the spectrum. Intuition is a dissociated ability to register accurate data. Creativity, and it's new, new data. Creativity works from what you know. You can rearrange the puzzle but it's always from what you've been exposed to already, Uh, which is why when people study intuition, often they have miraculous changes in their lives um, and sometimes very challenging ones because they were running around the same track, just the decoration would change. And all of a sudden 
they're on a different track. And even though they've chosen that different track, it is shocking to be out of the routine, the habits and beliefs that upon which our ego is structured. Yeah, that's, a, that's um, again, very concise. Uh, now, so, okay, so talking about the practical part, right? So don't worry about the esoteric, then what happened from a business standpoint even. Okay, so you talk a lot about taking, you know, like playing out the fantasy, I guess, sort of like finding the goal, what is the wish, writing it down, taking it out of the sort of... So that's not playing out the fantasy. Okay. If you walk out of... I hate walking. My husband loves to just walk the city. I don't. I walk, I have to have a destination. And then I pick my route. And then I get there. And sometimes as I'm going there, at different intersections, I'll make different choices. But if I don't have a destination, I'm not interested in the journey. Right. Where all of your resources work with a destination, with a target, with a goal. And it's not a matter of imagination. I use the word wish because people like it. But really what I'm saying is, why are you doing this? What's your goal? You know, um, and a goal is an interesting thing because goals are kind of the lighthouse of the human spirit. They organize your journey. So the goal, in a sense, isn't even that important. What's important is when you have a direction, this is what's, what happens. When you have a direction, intellect gathers all the information that you need and that's available to get there. Uh, intellect also brings up all of the difficulties and all of your tools. Um, your emotions begin to have to restructure themselves. And often that's a revisioning of the past in some way to get a deeper understanding so that what held you back from that destination, you work through because you have to, you know, you can't take all your luggage with you. And intuition begins to get engaged because you now have a, where you're filing all this information, you now have a magnet to say, oh, you think you want to take Third Avenue, but there will be traffic in two hours when you're on Third Avenue. Take Lex. So there's, and what intuition does is intuition comes up with answers to questions that, that you wouldn't have known to ask. So it's, and, and one of the things that, that I do a lot on Instagram is I read and I have people read each other, even novices on my YouTube, there's how to do an Instagram reading. Because one of the places where you really see your accurate accuracy is in doing a reading for someone else without knowing what the question is. And that's what it, my Instagram is. I put all my press up on Twitter, but Instagram is all about everybody reading each other. Like use this. And while you're using it, think, wow, if I can accurately answer a question that someone hasn't posted, but just has written down at home, if I can tell someone how they're feeling or how they will feel, how separate am I really? You know, do unto other begins to take a whole different meaning on when you really train an intuition and you realize, oh, wow, there is no other. In fact, my job, sorry, this, this stray here, my job is to be other because my experience of 40 years of really 
um, using this ability both in life and, you know, in science is that we talk about spirit. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. But if you think of spirit, spirit is what? Unity of energy. Spirit is perfect. Spirit doesn't change. I really think that the experience of being an I, the experience of being human is what elevates that spirit that we're all trying to return to. It's very hard to be a human being. Not so hard to chant Amna, whatever, you know? And, and actually, really good intuitives, you know, I train a lot of intuitives. My good intuitives are not the meditation teachers. My good intuitives are the ER nurses. My good intuitives are the ex-soldiers. My good intuitives are the, are the mathematicians. My good intuitives are people who need something that hasn't existed yet or who need to survive. That's where in, intuition organically uh, is activated in our life. So as adults, after that, you know, after we're finished repressing it, we use our intuition naturally in two areas, our area of expertise. So unless you're really dysfunctional, you are using your intuition all the time to be better at what you want to be good at and where you're not too damaged. So, you know, there are a lot of people who want to be good at relationship, but because of their early programming, their intuition is looking at the wrong place, finding the wrong people. But a doctor is very intuitive about diagnosis and prognosis, for example. So your area of expertise, also your area of neurotic preoccupation, because your goals, people talk about manifesting, 87% of your decisions are made seven seconds before you're consciously aware of them by your subconscious. So you are manifesting all of your stuff that you're not conscious of. That's why it's so important to have a conscious process, which I want to talk about next. Your intuition is targeted also, your area of greatest expertise and your area of neurotic preoccupation. So if you think you will be abandoned, your intuition will help you find the next person to abandon you. Your intuition works in your belief system because you don't see what you don't see. That's why my, I've written six books. I'm finishing my seventh on intuition. But the process that I use every day is actually more of an organizing process than an intuitive process. And it's, I called it the circle because at the time, I've actually used it in things like mergers and acquisitions. But at the time, the market wanted a more esoteric voice for me. So I tried to make it a little more esoteric. It is indeed a circle because it doesn't matter where you start. Can we spend a little bit more time on this one point? Because I think it is it does feel quite practical. And um, however we want to label it. But you know, you're talking about manifesting and and focusing on the thing that you you know basically the danger of 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 focusing on the things that you don't want to have happen yeah right so your example like if you want to find stuff if you want to figure out a you know if you think you're going to be abandoned like and you're constantly worried about that and you're constantly thinking about that then are you like subconsciously manifesting that and is that ultimately okay. what happens I let's let's take the word manifest. Yeah, because it sounds also very like creating. I can manifest an ice cube by putting water in my freezer. Manifest is just is just structuring things in a way that you create something. That's all it is. I manifest dinner. You know, manifesting is creating. People should not be afraid of their 
conscious negativity. Because if you're conscious of it, you know you're doing it. It's more the subconscious. Negative thinking is dangerous because all you see is the negative. So it is important to practice some positivity. Positive thinking is equally as dangerous because there are always snags. If a bullet's coming at you, closing your eyes and saying, I am fine and perfect, will get you dead. You know, positive thinking, also not good. If all you're seeing is the positive, then you miss all of the important information of the obstacles that you could easily deal with. Well, this is the problem with like the secret, right? Like the, the kind of idea around the secret. I just want to make the distinction. I because- make people afraid of themselves. I mean, you know, um, looking at sad people won't make you sad. It may make you grateful. You know, it's you, we can't be afraid of our own information. And I think part of it is that we are, there's a big industry, especially in the last half century, of disempowered people trying to find their way, you know psychopharmacology, psychiatry, meditation. I mean, all of these things are fabulous, but we're, we're structured to survive, actually. And a lot of your ways of finding your way are, are, are inside you. And, and there's, I, I, I really have observed that empowered realistic thinking, which is, this is not great right now. You know, here are some good things, here are some bad things, but all in all, this is horrible. And I'm going to put one foot in front of the other because this is my goal. And I may be afraid, you know, feelings aren't facts. Maybe afraid it'll never happen. Maybe may have no faith in it. People, you know, my students say, well, well, you know, I don't believe in this. I'm like, good. Cause intuition isn't a belief. Put one foot in front of the other. I'm afraid. Well, you're either going to sit in your fear or you're going to move forward. I can't make that decision for you. And the interesting thing is in a way moving forward is your own psychotherapy. Because if you are determined to be successful, all of the injury that gets in the way, you'll meet it on the path. And if your goal is success, you will deal with it. I think people often, they have a goal but then they switch goals and they, you know, this takes their attention, that takes their attention, or they have a goal and they get disheartened because it isn't easy. You know, if it's easy, you're not doing much. And, and engaging curiosity is one of the most powerful things you can do because there is, a, there was, there's a, there are studies on pain. When pain has a purpose, it's not as painful. My, um, my flu shot is really painful and I dread it. My Botox, I can't wait to have. So, you know, I, it, I think that it, it's so important. I've observed that it's really important for people to be aware of their purpose. So a way to engage intuition, the first thing you do is you have a goal and you don't change it. And not a goal that's a have-to goal because you need your subconscious on board. Remember, it's doing 87% of everything like sneaky, sneaky. So you need that subconscious on board. And how do you get the subconscious on board? The thing you want so much, you know, whether it's a car or bigger boobs or love or the thing you want so much, that's what you make your goal. Because then the subconscious and the id, it'll all come up. And it will help you challenge those patterns and those blinders 
that get in the way. And then there are intuitive skills that allow you to really more consciously engage intuition. So I feel like maybe this is where you're going when you're speaking about those skills, but um, you talk a lot about uh, when you do have the the goal or the wish or whatever it is that, you know, whatever word you want to use to describe it, it's important to think about it in terms of present tense, like it has already happened. So I want to get think out of people's lexicon because okay. and intuition, you know, intuition is the way you get the information and then you process it logically. But think isn't it. You allow the experience. It's not creative visualization. So for example, if I, if let's say my goal is I, I'm 5'5", five five. I want to be 5'10". That's my goal. And I allow the experience. I don't create, this is what I'd look like. I don't, I don't think it. I allow my five senses and my sixth sense then of awareness and thought. I allow the experience. And initially, when you start that process, and that's what the circle is, when you start that process, that embodiment, that's what the process is called, you may feel nothing. It may be confusing. You may feel all the things you don't want to feel. You don't feel your wish. If, if you were there already, you, you wouldn't be choosing that as a goal. So you allow the experience. And that experience comes in fragments. But what happens is as you allow that experience, even before you can think it, even before you're conscious of it, you are already making subtle shifts in awareness and subtle shifts in your reactivity, subtle shifts in how you envision your present, your past, and those sensors are open to what really is going to happen in the future that you can, by the way, only change in the present. So it's a very powerful, dynamic thing to simply allow. Try it now. You know, don't don't worry about choosing the right wish. Make a wish and now just kind of sit back. And, and while you're doing other things, while you're taking a sip of water, while you're examining your nails, allow the experience of what of that wish happening. And you will begin to notice and experience things differently. Not always, you know, not always nicely. So one of my wishes, um, I had never been alone. Basically, my mother died. I got a boyfriend. I married him years later, went from man to man. He had never been alone. So the first time in my life I'm alone, I'm 50. And my wish is, of course, to not be alone, to go back to that routine. And my goal was, I am my beloved's and my beloved is, is mine, which is part of the Jewish wedding ceremony. I didn't want to get married, but I wanted to be with my beloved and be beloved, which, you know, with my parenting, I'd actually never been. I mean, with my how I was parented. And when I first allowed the experience, my experience was one of utter terror and grief. And then my thinking got involved. You're 50. Look at the statistics. And then all of that other, you know, and then um, all of a sudden I started getting interested in things I hadn't been interested in before. I noticed. And I know, and as I embodied, because embodiment is something you do all the time, because what you're doing is you're shifting your telepathy, you're sending out a different pattern. With embodiment, what began to happen was people came toward me. And, and in the beginning, the people were kind of my old reality and my new reality mixed. But because I knew my goal, I had new sensors. 
Because below my conscious awareness, I was allowing my senses, my moment, to experience what the moment would be when it happened. And so all of a sudden, I could recognize a psychopath, which I couldn't the first 50 years of my life. You know, all of a sudden, I was able, and not all of a sudden, because, you know, it, 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 sometimes things happen right away. And, and sometimes, you know, you change first. It's not always when you're ready. Sometimes the world gives you your wish and, whoa, you're not ready for it. And you have to struggle it out. Uh, and sometimes you make that change inside first, and then you're easily able to meet it. Uh, you know, things happen in, in, in different ways. And so you, you ready yourself and you predict for yourself and you troubleshoot this possible future in the present, creating something that is really uh, viable. You know, whether you're a person or a company, I mean, the first thing when, when I'm working with a company and they, you know, they call me and they ask me a question and my first question to myself to kind of reframe their question is, what's their goal? You know, people say, well, what do you think about Roger G? I'm thinking, what's their goal? Is their goal to have a nice lunch? Is their goal a CEO that's going to take a product to market? Is their goal, you know, what's their goal? And once I know their goal, then the information recontextualizes itself and information that's useful comes to the surface and information that's distracting go, gets, gets organically repressed. And that's really, unless you are selling your intuitive skill to a market, the way you want your intuition to work is to organically have you reach for an umbrella without saying, it's going to rain. Oh my God, make sure to take an umbrella. You know, you just, you want it to be part of the way that you function. And it begins with allowing the experience of something different. And then that it's important to be flexible. And I think there, there are three functions. Uh, there's strength, there's flexibility, and I forget the third because I have ADHD. <laughs> but, um, but you really want, you know, strength sometimes is overrated. You want, you want the flexibility. Okay, so there's a lot to just dig into there, but I, I, I want to go back to the first example that you gave because this is to me an example of something that's like super concrete as opposed to something that feels a little bit less tangible. You started by saying you're 5'5 five five and you want to be 5'10. Right. So how does your experience of intuition allow you? Like, wh What's the so process I there? I actually did this before when I was really young. I was 5'4". And I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to be 5'10 because back in the you know, early 70s, we didn't do that. But I wanted to be 5'7". And I was 5'4". And I, I, you know, embodied that. I, I allowed the experience of what being tall would be. I just, I felt like such a wisp of a person. So all my stuff came up. My, um, I, I, uh, I, I when the next time I was at the doctor, Coincidentally, he identified my scoliosis, which had never been identified because my parents were too busy being nuts. I, I began some physical therapy. I started dancing. I did some yoga. My grandmother sent me a cape that was supposed to just graze the floor, and it was an inch too short because I had grown an inch in that year. <laughs> I didn't even realize it. 
And, and I wasn't as organized about using the techniques back then. I was, you know, 20 something years old, but you, you find, and, and sometimes, you know, um, so I had a really interesting uh, experience because you see how much your whole life is woven together. And I know this, I see it in my students, but you know, your own life is so messy. You don't recognize that in your own life. So I met my husband when I was 52 and actually days after my 52nd birthday. And I, um, I, uh, a couple months ago, my, or even a month, maybe it was a month and a half ago, my husband's doing doing this, uh, he's a screenwriter and he's doing this film. And he was looking over, he used to write for Vanity Fair and he was looking over these other Vanity Fairs. And Demi Moore had just been in New York and we'd been eating dinner every night with her, with, she and Rumor would come down, we'd have dinner. And he took out this Vanity Fair and said, wow, because he was thinking of her because she was here. Oh my God, I'm on the cover of her first pregnant Vanity Fair that I was at. I want, he was on the same cover, his, his article. So there's to me, beautifully pregnant. And there is my husband, Stephen Schiff, who, who did a you know, piece that was on the cover. I said, oh yeah, that's really, look how synchronicity works. Even back then the web was being woven. I said, wouldn't it be funny if she'd introduced us? Too bad, that would have been a great story. Took me two days because I'm so slow. And I have a picture on my wall of a woman who actually looks a lot like me, who I met when Demi was doing uh, Good Morning America for Striptease. And she was the producer of the second hour. And I'd gone to do this, you know, just to keep her company. And I was up above with this producer, this really lovely, brilliant, you know, woman. And we made friends because we had sons about the same age. And then lost touch, as people do, for 15 years. And then got back in touch and became friends again. And she, when I, when I, well, my last relationship ended and I decided the one place my intuition didn't work where my subconscious ran it was in picking partners, I asked two friends who had long-term marriages and those to pick me men and those are the only men I dated. I met her through to me. She matched me up with my husband. So when you look at the the when you look at the fabric of your life you'll actually see some synchronicities. I mean those are kind of shocking synchronicities. Yeah. Oh. Two things. Um can we talk a little bit about like coincidence? Synchronicity? I mean is there such a thing? What does it mean? Like there isn't well this is one intuitive opinion. But I've taught tens of thousands of people and been able to observe their lives. There are no coincidences. You know, people get fixated on signs. Oh, I saw a penny heads up. That's a sign everything's going to go well. I'm like, the fact you're being evicted from your apartment, you have no money in the bank, you're alone and you're unhealthy is not a sign. The penny is a sign. What makes the penny a sign? And everything else in your life, not a sign. So if you want to know what's going on inside of you, look at your life around you objectively. If you want to know what's going on in your life, look inside of you and you can, you can reorganize it either way. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in coincidences. I think that we live in a very closely interconnected 
universe, both in terms of time and of being. So one of the things that happens when you set a goal, when you reset your experience to experience the totality of it, not just the cheerleading section, um, when you begin to develop new rituals consciously to bring yourself forward to that goal, when you do all the things in the circle, when you, when you exercise a willingness to see what in the world gets in the way, when you allow your subconscious to offer you what internally, you know, it's a whole, there are nine elements. This is the circle. And my, this is my caddy copy because I do it. There are nine elements that I really saw. What you see is that what you are is what you live in. You are creating your reality and your reality is creating you. So there are no synchronicities. When you make, uh, when you set a goal and everything goes wrong, it's not going wrong. That stuff was already there. It's part of the lesson plan. Deal with it. But how do you justify then? I mean, so how then do you think about people who, because I, you know, I, I would like to think also you kind of like create your own luck. You sort of, you know, what luck. Well, you are your own luck. But, but what, I mean, so then how do you think about people who, you know, you say like, if you want to know how things are going, like look around, you created that. So like to flip that, you know, when you think about people who have had really shit circumstances and who have like to, you know, no fault of their own. I mean, children, like, I, you know, so how do you think about I'm it? In eaten, molested, lived alone at five years old in an apartment with three younger siblings in an affluent family. So nobody cared because of course nothing would be happening in that house. I mean, we, in a sense, are born with our lot in life and everyone, every philosophy has a reason and then, though, we take over. Now, are some of us more damaged than others in doing that? Absolutely. Is If, if I hadn't, I mean, I was abused, but I had an education that was already a plus. You know, I was abused, but I didn't have a chronic illness. That was already a plus. Uh, I'm white. That was a plus. I'm female. That's a negative. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't... I think it's absolutely true that some people are are disempowered to create as easily or as powerfully. However, there are many stories of people like that still creating their lives. I mean, my brother killed himself. My sister killed herself. They're younger. They were more talented, more beautiful, much more educated, you know, this is what I love about intuition. Intuition won't make your circumstances fair. And yes, they're absolutely, I don't know, I have theories, but I don't know what makes us born into a neighborhood where education's not available, where resources aren't available, where we have so much less, which is why it is so important as a community to, as I, we walk our lives, represent that energy of possibility. Because what I do know is even people who are so injured and disenfranchised that you would think, oh my God, some of those people thrive. And yes, they are absolutely at a disadvantage. I was at a disadvantage, you know? Um, and and I, I think that there is, that that goes back to interconnectedness, just like I, we're looking. We're seeing from epigenetics 
that the terror your grandmother experienced during the Holocaust actually affects their grandchild or great-grandchild, that it changes literally the mechanical framework of your being. And I do think that that is true. Just like, you know, we speak about intuition in terms of how can I be more intuitive and use this in my life. Intuition is also the thing that makes you depressed. If a family member is depressed and you don't have enough ego boundaries to keep a distance, it can ruin your life, literally, just by virtue of that you were born into that family. It doesn't make things fair. And I do think that we are um, at different points, a unified, we are always a unified reality and that, that we are born you know, we're, I think the world is mechanical in a way, which is why when you find a mechanical system that works, it does. You know, we are mechanical beings in a mechanical world. It's architectural. And sometimes some people are born the wrong part of the architecture. But still, if we make resources available, we can create possibility, which is why it's so important. That, that, that we do as a community create those possibilities. But I don't think a baby who's born in a certain way has created, in that moment at least, their reality. I do think they have their attributes and they have their challenges. I mean, you know, we were talking about Demi. She wrote a really wonderful memoir called Inside Out, which was a New York Times bestseller. And she, frankly, was kind about her life. You know, she was very even-handed. Demi should have ended up dead by 20. You know, I mean, but that's not how she ended up. And, and that intuition and that volition was what allowed her to organize an external reality to support her. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I mean, do you think that we have, you know, whatever, and I, I'm sure it's probably not... Favorite area to focus on because it is a little bit more esoteric. But do you think, on that note, that we have sort of guides that come in and, and help us along the way? Um, you're talking about a different paradigm than I experience reality. My experience is that on a very essential level, I am you, you are me, I am this chair, I am the best iteration of me. A thousand years from now, I am you. It is you have choices about what part of reality to access. And so I don't think I don't I don't experience guides as separate. Um, I think we are very much each other's guides and our own guides. I always, you know, I've made so many friends just from doing interviews because what I know is that that the people that are brought in, that I bring into my life are there for a reason. And if I take a moment, go a little, do a little something extra, connect in a, in a different and, and, and um, practical, interactive way, if I care about their lives and I allow them into mine, that all of a sudden, everything's stronger. There, there is a reason, not esoterically, but because subconsciously I've made a choice. Um, I, you know, people talk a lot about, you know, when will I see my dead mother? When you want to, 
I don't think reality is separate. I think your future and your past and your many beings are all here now, including your spirit guides. I think belief is a really wonderful thing. It helps us uh, ingest something in a way that, that we can absorb it. So, you know, a Jew is not going to see the Virgin Mary taking them, you know, taking them into death, but a Catholic will, and that will help that process. I think it's really important to find the helpful paradigms for you, for all of you, whatever that is. For me, it's logic. Um, and for me, it is a firm conviction that that my behavior in the world creates my world. So listen, I'm as nasty and envious and bitchy and horrible as the next person, but what I am is aware and trying to work those pieces and trying to go back to the restaurant where I was in a nasty mood and apologize and tip again. You know, to there's something about really feeling that you can rectify your errors and create a better world that is, that is, or not just feeling, acting on it, that I think is very important. I used to tell my son, you know, he'd come home and say, this person did this. I said, pretend it's all your fault because then you can fix it. And, and it, it's, it's so, so to your addressing, do I believe in spirit guides? I have unbidden seen things that I don't believe in. Um, I was telling with, uh, with Elise yesterday, I was telling uh, the story of when I saw an angel. I don't believe in angels. I don't want to believe in angels. You know, people who wear purple and crystals believe in angels. That's not my thing. However, I had a very convincing experience that was very helpful and was verified in life with what I saw as an angel. Was it an angel? Who knows? Did I need to see it as an angel to get the information? Maybe. So my question, my answer is, I don't know. I think we have everything inside of us and us includes our connections to what we perceive as one another. Um, and that it's very important to take care of yourself first, that we are here having this experience, having this human experience to become an ego, to become an I, not to merge with what is essentially our unity, but to be an I in the world and then to work as an I in the we. And that is very hard, really easy to have no boundaries, no self-preservation, help everyone, love everyone. That is called ego dysfunction. Love but, it. You know, to say, I want, I'm going to protect this. I am a good person, but don't mess with me. Yeah. Um, that still being a person who supports the world, but also being healthy in yourself, that I think is the real spiritual journey and is the real spiritual challenge. Oh my God. So well said. Um, I could not agree more. Because I think it is such a, you know, we, I feel like Erica and I have touched on this so often and, you know, usually in the context of boundaries and there's always this certain uh, sort of personality type or whatever you want to call I'm it. I'm empath. My most, uh, when, some, when a student says I'm an empath, I say, I have a psychiatrist for you. <laughs> yes. Like, like, I just like feel more like I love everyone. Sort of like, I kind of call bullshit on that as well. I, I feel like that is sort of like an easy, um, it, it's kind of an easy route. It feels very false to me. And usually by people who are intrinsically in denial about their own anger. 
Oh my I'm, God. I'm thinking of a specific person right now. And I feel like you're just like hitting the nail on the head. I mean, well, because that is, you know, one of the great things about being 62 and having taught for over 40 years is you do see it all. And, and, and it's, it's very, I mean, for me, it's been the greatest healer and gift in my life is the ability to lead and observe others. Um, and, and it is, you know, there is, there is, a, what, what do they call it? The spiritual bypass? In new age culture, you know, I had a lot of bad press about a decade ago and someone said to me, um, not having to do with my work. And someone said to me, we can bury this. And I'm like, I'm a teacher. I bury nothing. I bury nothing. I want you to know that I wake up some mornings and I don't know how I'm going to take that next breath. And I want you to know that I walk into a dinner party and feel like a complete idiot sometimes. And I want you to know that I am mean and nasty and selfish sometimes. I want you to know that I am struggling with all the same things you're struggling with. And and that I am a self-help author because I needed so much help to not do what my siblings did that I made my goal to answer the question, what makes this worthwhile? What makes me worthwhile? What will lead me to safety? And thankfully, I got those answers. You created those answers, I think. And that's kind of the point here is you found them because, I mean, to your point, they were, they were in you all along, however you want to put it. And it's still a struggle because if you actually are growing the minute you create what you want in your life, the next challenge comes in because you're growing. And, and yes, those coasting moments, which we all know are going to end, are wonderful. Those status quo moments are wonderful. But in a sense, the, the challenge in life, I find, is what makes it worth it today? And often we get stuck in what made it worth it five years ago. And we're in a time warp. I have a little video on YouTube that's the four time zones, the past, the future, the present, and the non-local. And it's really important in this moment to find your okay while working for something else. Because you don't, you know, nothing, nothing stays the same. And the wonderful thing, you know, when you were saying, you know, do we, does someone who's disadvantaged choose that? No. You know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know why people are born in certain conditions. I do know that the same person in the same condition can have a very different outcome. And that is the wonderful thing about being an adult, is that ability to make a choice and apply yourself. I mean, magic is discipline. That's what it is. It's taking what is and creating what can be, which is where intuition comes in. Because if we're not exposed to what can be, it's really hard to know how to put the pieces together. And that is also why I really feel so strongly that every child is our child. You know, we are only as healthy as the unhealthiest part of our society. And for people who can't make choices, we are. We, I really feel so strongly that we are responsible for that. And we don't, you know, we, we, that's where kind of the ambition in our culture gets in the way. Because, of course, I will drown all your children to save my child. Simple fact. 
However, short of having to save my child, I want to raise a child who's going to, you know, elevate everybody. And I want to be that person too. You know, and we get confused because we're taught it's not okay to defend. That's ang- that's angry. By the way, anger, very important. Good to set boundaries. People who are not in touch with their anger can't set boundaries. And then there's chihuahuas who get really upset all of a sudden. You don't know why. It's because they didn't set boundaries. They're not in touch with their anger. So, you know, we have to stop labeling, you know, labeling all of these things and name things only when it's useful to name them. Yeah, I have, uh, I have, I feel like we should just do a whole episode on anger. Um, uh, yes, I think it was Glenn. Do- as women. I mean, anger. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. That's, that was a given. That's what I meant it as women. Who else? I mean, I wrote a book called Welcome to Your Crisis and there are four crisis types. Every woman thinks they're a rage type. There are very few female rage types. Every woman thinks they're a rage type because they let people cross their boundaries. And then when they're stomped to a bloody pulp, they <laughs> rise. That's not a rage type. That might be a denial type. That might be an anxiety type. It's not a rage type, you know, and it's really or, or the person who's taken the burden and is depressed and, you know, and then finally leaves the situation, says, no, no more. That's not a rage type. That's a depression type that's found their feet. And it is really interesting how as, as, as women, we are, we are labeled when we actually take out our blade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's funny. I, I, and I think, you know, women are also very, um, you know, they also are part of this issue. Like, I think that women kind of set other women up to, you know, in a way that it's not okay. It's not acceptable to be, to be angry. It's somehow the opposite of, somehow the opposite of forgiveness or openness or love. And I, I like, I, I have a whole nother episode I could do. Yeah, it. I also think that women, you know, I think that, that women, especially because they're not allowed to be angry, they protect their fragile realities with an irritability uh, because traditionally, and your generation is very different than mine, but traditionally we've been disempowered in the world to actually do the things that would make it better. Um, so we have to use illusion. And I think that, that that's really changing. And But I also feel, you know, it's interesting because to look from someone, you know, who lived consciously through the 60s, um, to look at now what's going on, the one thing that concerns me is the polarization. I mean, I'm the mother of a son, of a wonderful, you know, son. And, and to, to some degree, I think in general, cooperation needs to be the name of the day. You know, as a teacher, I try not to kick anyone out of my group. If you're a Trump supporter, I, I can't teach you. I just can't. There's, there's, it's it because the whole basis of intuition, I mean, if you experience intuition, the whole basis is that we we are each other. That's why we can see what each other is doing. We need to use our information sometimes in ways that seem manipulative because we are responsible for our own survivor survival. But we but the minute we put people outside 
you know, and attack them, that, you know, uh, that is something that takes a more elevated person than myself to work through. And so I'm doing exactly what I hate. I'm putting people outside, but simply because the other 80% of the group is going to be dealing with that the whole time. You know, we start on the basis of we are here to create together. I mean, what I love about the trainings I do is that, yeah, people want to learn about intuition. They want to change their lives. They want to get their wishes, blah, blah, blah. They all do that. But what they really get is they get 49 other people, because I limit it to 50 is kind of a magic number. They get 49 other people who will do reading and healing for them, who will facilitate them in other ways for the rest of their life. And you do, you do have to negotiate rules for a community. And I think that that right now, that again, we're in an era where we're trying to change those rules, but I think we're often doing it by working against each other. And I think we need to work for each other. I, the minute you have against, you're wasting energy. You know, if that, all that energy goes directly, you know, to a goal, then, then, you, then you've got something down. Um, I think that's a pretty good boundary to set for, for that type of uh, class. Um, and yeah. hate is not defense. Defending yourself, I would have no problem defending myself against someone trying to harm my life, my family, even my possessions, perhaps. But but anger. There was a wonderful quote that I saw, and I'm, I I'll butcher it. But when you're angry, it becomes your master. And so, anger enough to set boundaries, yes. But functioning through that anger, then there's an irrational part. And the reason I called my first book Practical Intuition, just going back to that, is that intuition is used for so many kind of airy things. But when people say past lives, I'm like, great, do your past lives once you've mastered this one. Dead people, great. Do your dead people. Have you returned all the phone calls you needed to make today? to the living people who are actually right now, you know, interacting in your life, you know, going somewhere in fantasy, great. But wouldn't it be better to bring those objectives here to your environment? It, life is not easy for anybody. And I work with some very privileged people. Their lives are not easy. You know, no one thinks about not being able to go to the corner market without being ambushed by paparazzi or having someone pissed at you because you won't, your arthritis is bad and you won't sign an autograph and you don't want to have to explain that your arthritis is bad because all you wanted was a pint of milk. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's everybody's life is challenging and it really is up to us to find that, that reservoir of, of can-do, of possibility for ourselves and for one another. May I have an amen, please? Amen. Yes, yes. you can definitely have an amen. Hallelujah. I was about to say, this it actually feels like, unfortunately, we, we have to, we're out of time and there's like 20 other okay, friends so that we want to pull. People, do I have four minutes? Yes. Okay. Here is just the easiest way to engage what you think of as all the magical qualities of intuition. Set a goal, allow the experience of that goal, 
Let information come up. No, if you couldn't do something about it, you'd repress it. So don't be afraid of your own information and know that you are the creator. And that's just not a line. That is true. You are the creator of your life and you create in this moment. So yeah, you might be afraid of something. Notice in this moment what you need to do to change it. In your sleep state, if you write down what you want help with when you go to sleep, one thing so that you can really show your subconscious it's effective, in your sleep, write something down before you go to sleep. I need help. I want to find my true love. I, I need a job. I can't pay my rent. I need, really, please help me. We just had someone in our group who did this and it, it worked. Um, write it down. And when you wake up, forget about dreams. Dreams are your experience, your subconscious, your past, blah, 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 blah. When you wake up, notice who you're thinking of, what you feel like doing, and act on it. And you will find that in your sleep state, you've actually non-locally communicated with a lot of resources. We had a woman who was being, this just happened. I got this email this morning. She was being evicted. She's older. She lives on a very limited income. They'd sold the house she was living in. She was trying to find a new place. She lives in a very, very, with a roommate in a very expensive area. And, you know, we all worked on it with her and we did sleep work. She just got a notice today. The house is not being sold. She can stay. So do that in your sleep. You can do, you are so, you are so powerful and it doesn't matter how you feel. We all feel helpless and hopeless. We all feel, you know, not enough. We all feel overwhelmed a lot of the time. It actually is really hard to ruin your life. You can ruin it for a year, you can ruin it for a month, but it's really hard to actually ruin a life. So if you set your target and if you take it through some simple processes that are organic to you, you can create something different no matter how you actually feel about it. Belief is not important. Readings on my on Instagram, a great intuitives read you for free. You do a reading for them, you know. Oh, we're gonna do it. Yeah, we're gonna do it. Um, They're wonderful. I get my readings there. um, But this was so amazing and so refreshing. And I I mean, the way that you articulate what is, I think, very complex is. Thank you. Very impressive. So thank you for time. Yeah. So, so your kids are are friends now. Yeah, four, uh, almost four and six. Oh, yeah. So you know, uh, can't wait for grand. Well, can wait for grandchildren. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Sarah. This is amazing. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.